Welcome to another episode of Men's Bible Study. Our student pastor, Chase Durham, joins us this morning to teach on the meaning of Advent. And as we look back in Genesis, we can actually see one of the first Advent promises. Now, let's hear from Pastor Chase. All right, gentlemen. Glad to be here. So, yeah, I was up in North Carolina this past week, and the competition was the American Open Finals. Um, and so you had to qualify to get to the competition. And well, honestly, who remembers Bo Landers? So I was about two hours from Bo. Bo's a dear friend, and he drove down for the competition. And so <clears throat> we got to hang out together, and Bo was in the warm-up room with me, getting me water. And he was like, what do you need? I was like, I like this from you, Bo. Like, <laughs> I could use a snack. Could you give me a snack, please? No, I'm kidding. So it was a really fun time. I've been trying to crack the top 10 for years. I've been 12, I've been 11. Um, so I was, I was happy about that. Hopefully I'll get to go to Pittsburgh this summer um, and that'll be the biggest competition of the year and we'll see how I can finish up there. So just a fun hobby um, that I like to do. So it's always fun to talk about. But anyways, today we are talking about that Jesus is coming. It's the holiday season. Um, and so in the church world, this time is called Advent. And so I know uh, I personally did not grow up in church. And so when I started coming to church and starting to hear these words like Advent, I was like, what in the world is Advent? And so I'm sure there are some of you that have never heard this word. And so I want to explain it. Advent is the coming or the arrival of someone or something. And so when I explained that Advent means that, now in the context of church, you can understand why we call this the Advent season, because it is the season that we are anticipating the coming of the Savior. And so we have Advent calendars um, that we will go and buy. If you have a Pinterest wife, it will probably be a really cute calendar. And, and we do these, these calendars because it helps build the anticipation of the Christmas season. And so you will like move like a, a circle or something like that on how many days left until Christmas. But if you've got like the fun grandparent that gives your kids the Lego advent calendar or the advent calendar that has the candies in it, you know, you open them up and they're like this cardboard box and each day you poke a hole and there's like a little toy that you get. Those are the ones that my kids love to have. I've got three kids. And their favorite ones are the candy ones. There was one year, we only had one of these advent calendars, which meant there was only one candy per day. And so we had them take turns. And I'll tell you what, nothing builds anticipation like a kid having to wait for candy. So every day, they would come flying down the stairs, and I'd be like, all right, who's, they'd ask, whose turn is it? And I'm like, it's Eden's turn. And so she's my only daughter. And so, I mean, the boys, they're just around, around the table. Eden's about to poke it, and she pokes it, and they're like, what is it? What is it? What is it? And she, like, pulls out a little Kit Kat bar, and they're like, it's, it's my turn, right? Like, can I have a turn? It's my turn. And she's like, nope. And she just will open that thing up, and the boys are like, we got to go to bed so our turn, our turn can be next. Like, there's this anticipation, this yearning for, for what's coming because they're so excited for that little piece of candy. And I'm sure you guys have traditions like that in your household that get you guys ready for the Christmas season. 
that get you excited for the Christmas season. One that I'm sure we all share is we attend a Christmas Eve service. It's one of the greatest ways that we all come together, get our hearts right on Christmas Eve, ready to celebrate the birth of a Savior on Christmas Day. Maybe you guys have texted plan and you've been getting those Christmas devotionals and that is building the anticipation, the yearning, the longing for Christmas morning where we celebrate that Jesus has come, that the Savior has come. In a sense, guys, the Bible has kind of been like this Advent calendar. It has been building a yearning and anticipation in the children of God since the beginning of time. You see, God has made promises all throughout Scripture saying that I am going to send a Savior. He is going to come. But for hundreds and hundreds of years, the children of God were waking up and they were looking. They're like, is this guy going to be the Savior? Is this king going to be the Savior? Is this political ruler going to be the Savior? And there was this yearning and anticipation for that day that we now know as Christmas when Jesus came. But there were hundreds and hundreds of years where people were in an Advent season, waiting, waiting. They didn't know his name, and they didn't know what he looked like. And so this morning, what we are going to do is we are going to jump all the way back to Genesis. We're going to look at one of the first Advent promises, one of the first promises where God said, I am going to send someone. We're going to look at that together. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Genesis uh, chapter 3. I'll have the scripture up on the screen for you so you can follow along. But just some context of Genesis 3. I never want to assume that someone knows this passage of scripture. But we know that God created everything. And then we get to Genesis chapter 3. And then we have that sneaky, crafty serpent who slides into the garden, who tells Adam and Eve three different lies, deceives them. Adam and Eve disobey God's word and obey the voice of the crafty serpent. And then we get sin entering the world. In the garden, there's this imagery of, of being naked and unashamed. And so while, there, while it was physical nakedness, it also symbolized a a spiritual nakedness, a spiritual innocence that they had before sin entered the world. There was no guilt. There was no shame. There was no condemnation. Everything was perfect. But then when that sin entered the world, when they disobeyed the voice of God, all of a sudden Adam and Eve realized, we're naked. We're guilty. There's, there's something in us that needs to be fixed, that needs to be covered. And so if you remember how the story goes, Adam and Eve, they were so overwhelmed by this guilt and their nakedness that they tried to cover that sin themselves. So they tried to get some fig leaves to cover up their own sin, to try and cover up their own nakedness. And then God comes into the garden and he begins to tell them the consequences of their sin. And so this verse we're about to read is when God is talking to the serpent, bringing the curse to the serpent because of what he has done. Genesis 3.15 says this, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head 
and you shall bruise his heel. Gentlemen, this is the first Advent promise. The first promise that someone or something is going to come and is going to crush the head of this serpent who has deceived God's children and has introduced sin into the world. But here's the deal. This promise is very blurry. God just says, he will come to crush the serpent. So go to the next slide. Genesis 3.15 points to someone that's going to come. Doesn't give us a name. Adam and Eve don't know who he's talking about. But this is the first Advent promise. So imagine the, 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 the anticipation. <clears throat> well, who's this person going to be? When, <clears throat> when's he going to come? Is he going to be a king on a big white horse? Is he going to be some ruler? Is he going to be some mighty warrior? Who is he? Imagine that anticipation of the children of God. So then we fast forward to the next Advent promise in the Bible, Genesis chapter 9. So this Genesis 3 would have been known as the Adamic covenant, a covenant made with Adam. And so now we're going to go to Genesis chapter 9, where God's going to make a covenant with Noah. And this is called the Noahic covenant, another Advent promise. So let's read this together. Well, actually, before I read, I'll give you some context. Evil was increasing during the time of Noah. You see, ever since Genesis 3, sin just multiplied. It spread like a horrible cancer throughout the world. And when God looked down on his creation, on his children, it literally grieved his heart because of how wicked and corrupt and sinful mankind had been, had become. And so he, found, he identifies his servant, Noah who had been faithful to him. So now, with that context, we read Genesis 9, 11 through 13. I establish my covenant with you. This is God talking to Noah. I establish my covenant with you, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you. For all future generations, I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. So this word covenant is not something that we normally use in everyday life. And so what is a covenant? A covenant is an agreement. Hit that next slide. It's an agreement or a promise. And so God has come to Noah, and he has made a covenant with him. He has made a promise to him. What was that promise in Genesis 9, 11 through 13? The promise was that judgment is coming. Judgment's coming, but so is rescue. So the promise of the Noahic covenant is that judgment is coming, but so is rescue. In this context, in Genesis 9, the, the judgment was that God was going to flood the earth and destroy and wipe out all wickedness. But rescue is coming. What was rescue? God instructed Noah how to build an ark. Guys, let's, let's think about this ark. I mean, I know this is like childhood, um, kids ministry type story, but think about this. The ark was something that would cover them from judgment 
and would deliver them into a new life. Do y'all see that? Judgment was coming, so God provided a way for Noah, the faithful, to be protected from the wrath of God and then to be delivered into a new life. The ark, again, is pointing to the Savior, the one who is going to cover us from judgment and deliver us into an eternal life. The ark is giving us imagery. The ark is teaching us what Jesus is going to do for us. But in this promise, it doesn't give us the name of Jesus. It just tells us that judgment is coming, but so is rescue. And so now we've got Genesis 9 pointing forward. Oh, I don't have a picture of that. We have Genesis 9 pointing forward to who is, who's going to be this true ark. Who's going to be this spiritual ark? Not a physical ark, but who's going to be this spiritual ark that's going to deliver, protect us from judgment and deliver us to eternal life? Guys, think about, think about Noah during this time. He lives in a world, in a culture that was increasingly corrupt and wicked. And then God comes to him and says, hey, I'm bringing judgment, but don't worry, I'm also going to rescue you. And he says, I'm going to rescue you by having you build a giant ark. Um, put yourself in Noah's shoes. People would have looked at him like he was crazy. But Noah had faith. Noah had faith in the promises and the covenants of God. Noah believed the words of God. And so a faith definition that I, I, I teach my students all the time, and I'm sure I've shared it with you guys, is faith is choosing to live as if God's word is true. Regardless of your circumstances, regardless of your emotions, regardless of what everyone around you is doing. So imagine Noah in a culture of increasing wickedness, increasing brokenness, and then God makes a covenant to him, a promise to him. He says, hey, I'm going to bring judgment, but I'm also going to bring rescue, but you need to build a boat. Could you imagine just the circumstances that, that Noah was in? God, there's no Home Depot. God, there's no Lowe's. Where am I going to get all these supplies? How is this going to be possible? Could you imagine the emotions, the, the embarrassment? What are people going to think of me? I'm going to have to go tell people that God told me to build a really large boat? Like, could you imagine the fear, the anxiety within him? And then culture, I mean, the evil and wicked men looked at him and would go to him and say, what are you doing, you fool? They would ridicule him. Why? For believing the promises and the word of God. This Noahic covenant was one of the second Advent promises that the true ark will come one day to deliver us from judgment and deliver us into a new life. Then we get to Genesis 17. Guys, we're still in the first book of the Bible. And we are seeing Advent promise after Advent promise after Advent promise. And the children of God still don't know who this person is that's going to deliver them, that's going to crush the head of the serpent, that's going to be the true and greater ark. And so now we get to Genesis 17, which is another incredibly important promise and covenant of God. Genesis 17, 1 through 8 says this. When Abram 
was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you, and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession." and I will be their God. In Genesis 3, we get the Adamic covenant. We get that first advent promise that someone's going to come and crush the head of the serpent. In Genesis 9, we get the Noahic covenant, a promise made to Noah that a judgment is going to come, but so is rescue. And then now in Genesis 17, we get the Abrahamic covenant, a covenant, a promise made to Abraham that through his lineage is going to come king that through his lineage is the eternal promised land is going to come, that through Abraham's children and great-grandchildren, we know the Savior of the world is going to come. Have you ever wondered why the Gospel of Matthew starts with a genealogy? Jesus, the son of Abraham, the son of David, and then it goes on and on and on, because Matthew is helping all of the audience remember that Jesus fulfilled all of these promises. It's fascinating when you study that that way. So we get this promise to Abraham that through his lineage, kings will come, an everlasting covenant, an everlasting promised land. Now let's think about Abraham. He's 99 years old. And he has no children. So let's think about faith. Faith is choosing to live as if God's word is true, as if his promises are true, as if his covenants are true, as if they will not fail. Faith is choosing to live as if God's word is true, regardless of your circumstances, regardless of your emotions, regardless of culture. So here's Abraham, 99 years old, and God says, through your children, I'm going to bring kings. Through your children, I will be their God. Through your children, they will receive the eternal promised land. And Abraham has no children, and he's 99 years old. But Abraham has faith. He chooses to believe God's promise, despite his circumstances, that he's 99 with no children, with no lineage, despite his emotions. God, I'm too old for this. Like, who am I that through me you would bring kings and that you would bring the promise? Like, who am I? And then the culture that Abraham was in, the, the wicked and corrupt culture that he was walking through, but Abraham believed 
the Advent promises of God, the promises of God, the covenants of God, the word of God. And Abraham followed God. This, this Advent season that we are in, we already know the answer. We already know who came. But put yourself in the shoes of the children of God, all the way back to Genesis. They're getting promise after promise. They're getting covenant after covenant. But who is going to fulfill this covenant? Who is going to crush the head of the serpent? Who is going to be the true and greater ark that's going to protect us from wrath and deliver us to new life? Who is going to be this great, great grandchild of Abraham that's going to be the king of kings and deliver us into an eternal promised land? The vision that the children of God would have had would have been a blurry, blurry vision. They wouldn't have known. And so there would have been an even greater anticipation, an even greater yearning, an even greater angst and ache for that one who is going to come and fulfill all the promises of God. We leave the book of Genesis. We get to Exodus, second book of the Bible. We get to Exodus chapter 20. We have the story of Moses who has been um, leading the Israelites out of Egyptian slavery. They're wandering in the wilderness God comes to, to Moses, meets with Moses on Mount Sinai, gives uh, Moses the law, the Ten Commandments, trying to teach his children how to be a holy people once again because they had been so indoctrinated by Egyptian culture. They needed to learn how to be God's children again is essentially what the law was for. So Moses receives the law, and that's in Exodus 20. Law number one, you shall have no other gods before me. Two, you shall not make any idols. Three, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Four, keep the Sabbath day holy. Five, honor your father and your mother. And don't worry, as a student pastor, I really emphasize that one, okay? I got y'all. I got you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. Nine, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Ten, you shall not covet. You see, God gave the law to his children not as a way to earn salvation, but as a means to reteach his children how to be his children. Because think about what the children of God had been through. They were stuck in Egyptian slavery for years. And so when they were stuck in Egyptian slavery, what did they learn? Egyptian culture. And so what was a part of Egyptian culture? Egyptian worship. And Egyptians did not worship the one true God. They did not worship Yahweh. They worshiped the sun God. They worshiped the goddess of fertility. They worshiped the God of agriculture. They worshiped all these gods. And so as the children of God were enslaved in this culture, they learned the Egyptian way of life, which would have included the Egyptian way of worship. And so when God reclaims his children out of slavery, delivers them out, the children of God, do you remember what they wanted to do? 
They're like, I just want to go back to Egypt. Like this wilderness, this is horrible, Moses. Why did you do this? You're, are you just leading us out here to try and kill us? They just wanted to go back to what they knew, which would have been worshiping the sun, and worshiping the moon, and worshiping the goddess of fertility, and living in this Egyptian culture. And God says, I'm not going to give up on my people. I'm going to rescue them. I'm going to deliver them. I'm going to teach them how to be a holy people. And so he gives them the law. The law was not designed to give them salvation. The law was designed to teach them how to live. And so again, we, we get this law and we get these people trying to uphold the law, but they're people, they're sinners, they're broken, and they failed to uphold these laws. So could you imagine they've got this, this law from God, but they can't keep it. So what, what are they going to do? How are they ever going to keep this law? The law was given to Moses. This would have been known as the Mosaic Covenant. A promise made to Moses. A covenant made to Moses. What was that promise? That someone's going to come and fulfill the law. Because we can't. We can't. We're sinners. We're broken. God's law is perfect and holy. We are not so we need someone who can fulfill that on our behalf, or else we are always going to fall short. Guys, this is what sets Christianity apart from every other world religion. I'm serious. Every other world religion. There's not a single world religion like Christianity. Every other world religion is about man trying to earn the favor of God. It's about man trying to do enough good deeds or acts or obey in a certain way to eventually one day hopefully get to their eternal state, whatever that is. Christianity is unique in the sense that God came down to us to rescue us, to deliver us because we couldn't do it ourselves. Christianity is unique in that. And so if you're ever having a conversation like, and you need an apologetic, a defense for why you are a Christian, it's one of the greatest. Every other world religion, good luck. Christianity, I know because Jesus has done it for me, even though I fall short all the time. So the children of God, we're only in Exodus, second book of the Bible, and they've they, they would know the stories of the past. They would know the promise made to Adam. They would know the promise made to Noah. How would they know? Because every time it rained and they saw the rainbow in the clouds, they would have known and remembered that God's not going to flood the earth again and that God's going to provide a way of rescue. We get Genesis 17, the promise made to Abraham that through the lineage of Abraham, the king is going to come, an everlasting covenant is coming, or has come, and then an eternal promised land is coming. Then we get to Moses, the Mosaic covenant. All of these promises are pointing to Jesus. Jesus is the one who is going to crush the head of the serpent from Genesis 3. Jesus is the one who's going to be the eternal ark, who's going to deliver us from the wrath of God and bring us into the promised land. Jesus is the fulfillment of Genesis 17. He is the eternal king that is going to lead us 
into the eternal heavens. Jesus is the one who's going to fulfill Exodus 20, who's going to fulfill the law perfectly. So because we can't, all of the promises of God find their fulfillment in Jesus. And so when we say the the cliche phrase, Jesus is the reason for the season, that's not a cliche, guys. Jesus is truly the reason for the season. He is truly the fulfillment of the promises that have been made to the children of God since the beginning of time. And we live on the side of history where we know the name of that man. We know the name of that man. And so during this Advent season, approach it with new eyes, new heart. Approach it from the mindset of the promises that God has made throughout history. And we know the answer to the promises. And we get to believe in Jesus. We get to believe in the one who has crushed the head of the serpent. We get to know by name the true ark. We get to worship the true king of kings. We get to belong to the one who is going to bring us into heaven and the new earth for all of eternity. And so that is the reason for this season. Let's pray together, guys. Heavenly Father, I thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for Jesus. I know we say stuff like that all the time, but Lord, we, we truly mean it. When we open up your scriptures, we see your promises, and we see that Jesus has fulfilled all things. We celebrate Jesus. I pray, God, that today that our hearts and our affections would be stirred for your son Jesus. I pray a blessing over all these men, over their families, over their jobs, over their grandchildren. I, I just pray your blessing over all of us that we would truly go in the name of Jesus and the confidence of your son Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit as we go throughout our days. And may this Christmas be celebrated with a new, a renewed zeal, a renewed joy as we realize how significant Jesus is, that he has fulfilled all of your promises, Father. We love you, God. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. 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 We love you guys. Come back for men's Christmas next week. Bring your friends. Thanks for tuning in to today's Bible study. For more information regarding Cottonwood Creek, go to cottonwoodcreek.org. And we hope you tune in next time for more episodes of men's Bible study.